What is up, Podheads? Back with another episode of the Podio Slave Podcast. My name is Tony. I am joined by Anthony, and Podio Slave Goes International is back <laughs> for another episode here. Uh, I was trying to think, how many bands or people have we talked to that weren't in the United States at the time of the interview? Because tonight's another one. It's another one. Uh, let's take inventory. Scott Russo of Unwritten Law was yep, not was in the in U.S. Yep. He was in Mexico when we chatted with him way, way, way back. Yeah. Uh, Half Me. Half Me. Grove yep. Street. Frank Turner. Frank Turner. Yeah. Yep. So there's been a handful. Yeah. And tonight we had, uh, I don't know where in Europe, but uh, John Henry, Darkest Hour. That was fun. Somewhere in Europe, baby. And uh, <laughs> Tyler from Youth Fountain. He's in Canada. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. We're not in Canada, even though people think we are. But yeah, <laughs> yeah we had John Henry from Darkest Hour. Uh, great conversation. Great new album comes out this Friday, Perpetual Terminal on Monarch Heavy. It's always fun to, to do these. I, we, we, I know I'm a broken record with that, but it is. Like I, I have excited, woke up this morning excited to have this conversation because we were talking to somebody we'd never talked to before on the cusp of their 10th album, which is a feat that not a lot of bands can say they've done. And uh, they sound just as fresh and as good as ever. So yeah, man, really, really cool stuff. I echo everything you said, and that's one of the best things. This is, this is one of the best things about doing this podcast is you don't know what's around the corner. You know, you really don't. I mean, pe- bands are putting out new albums all the time. They're going on tours. People are reuniting. Then there's folks from bands that are broken up that you can still chat with. So when we, you know, linked up with John for this, it was someone that, you know, we've seen for 21 years or whatever it is listen to the music for that long and uh that and most importantly i love the catalog like i i love darkest hour i tony and i were chatting before this like the the dvd party scars and prison bars i think for your money that's one of the best music dvds of all time it's funny it's got the live footage it's just it's them it's darkest hour and all these years later to have a chance to interview someone like John who is it's, 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 it's why we do it. It's why we do it. It's the unknown around the corner. It's the passion for the music. And that is a newness too. Cause you get this new album coming out Friday. Yeah, absolutely. And shout out Tim and Adam splitter for, for thinking of us to make, make this combo happen. They've been good to us over the years here now too. And I say years cause we're f- almost four years in. So uh, another cool, another cool conversation that uh, again, you, d- you just didn't know five days ago that it was possible and then now it's in the can and we've had a bunch of these and we continue to to have really really great combos and this was another one so yeah hey if you like what you hear tell a friend i mean we don't do this a lot but it's at the end of the episode no one ever listens to it but tell a friend please you know go go in and rate us and uh yeah let's let's jump into our conversation with john from darkest hour john henry Darkest Hour, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, this is exciting. We, uh, we're, we're super excited for this, and I know we were chatting a little bit before we started recording. Uh, we've been doing this for four years. Darkest Hour has come up in conversation, my guess, two or three times, but the most memorable, and I'm gonna, you're gonna, you've been around a while, John. I'm going to dig your memory banks. Sure. Darkest Hour came up when we had uh, Brian Fair from Shadows Fall Overcast on probably 100 episodes ago. And I don't remember the context, but he brought up a show where Overcast played with Darkest Hour down in D.C. It was probably 96, 97. He said it was in some squat 
first time ever meeting you guys, and you guys ask the Overcast dudes to borrow equipment, to borrow some cabs or whatever, and they say yes, thinking you don't have gear. <laughs> but turns out you had gear, you just wanted full stacks. And <laughs> to quote Fair, he's like, I fucking love and hate those guys. So <laughs> you remember that? I, as soon as you started that story, I, I remembered it. I think it was actually Baltimore. And yeah, it was like, I don't know if it was Charm City Art Space, but it was some pretty much like a squat that there's like, you know, like a, a, an abandoned building or something. And yeah, I remember like, you know, back in the day, it was funny. We were super. So one of our main influences is Damnation AD from DC. And they just always had like a million amps on stage. So we were always like, you know, we were, we wanted to be them so bad. So, it, you know, anywhere we would play, if it was a basement or somewhere just where like full stacks are just completely unnecessary, we were just like, all right, we need as many as possible. And I remember that, I forget the guitar player from Overcast name, but he was like, he got mad at us and like yelled at us. Cause he's like, what the fuck? You didn't need that shit, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but like, you did, oh, we did but we didn't need it, you know exactly you're just trying to just trying to fill up the space right exactly that's amazing so was that a thing back then like you just kind of slow played it until people just started letting you borrow stuff so you could you know blow people's eardrums out that was a pretty isolated incident like we we did we usually used to carry all you know way too many guitar cabs way too many amps with us so no, that wasn't like a, that wasn't a, a normal thing but we did normally play with way too many amps now we just <laughs> do like a deck or whatever well we we weren't around for like we're a little younger than you maybe a few years so we weren't around for that era and we're from maine so it's not like we were seeing you guys in the late 90s but one of my favorite music dvds ever is the party scars and prison bars uh thrashography you guys put out and there's uh there's footage from your first show from 95 in that and everyone's so young it's in like a gym yep. and we're talking almost 30 years ago so like the john in that video could he did he see any of this coming this 30 years in a metal band not at all not not at all um i, I didn't i guess i didn't really know what i wanted to do with my life back then but i never thought that you know, the band would be anything more than just like a hobby. And I mean, back then, and that we were, you know, part of this like DIY hardcore scene, it was very anti rock star, you know, it was very much like, you know, we would never think about having guitar solos or a light show or any of this kind of stuff in our music that we ended up being like, hey, you know, we want to put on a good show for people. And so we ended up incorporating that stuff into us. So yeah, I mean, the really you know everyone changes everyone what you want out of life what you need out of life changes and i think that you know when we started getting the opportunity for touring i was doing like community college wasn't really into it and then all of a sudden you know mike's like hey we got this offer to do like a full u.s tour and i was like all right i'm dropping out of school like this, this, this is my life now and as soon as i got the kind of the taste of like touring, traveling around, you know, not soon after, you know, after that we went to like Europe for the first time. And after that, I was pretty much just, you know, hooked. I was like, okay, this is, this is what I want to do with my life. 
and I mean, 30 years in just about now. So you, you made that happen, which is pretty, pretty amazing stuff. Cause that's not easy to do. I mean, <laughs> going five years and putting a couple records out is not easy to have anybody take notice. So for, uh, yeah. for you to be able to pull it off for this long is, is pretty wild stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, an addiction almost it's, it's, you know, it's really hard. Once you like live the life, it's hard to get out. You know, I know so many people who have done it and gotten burnt out and quit. And then, you know, years later, you talk to them and they're like, man, <laughs> I wish I, you know, I wish I could still be doing this. And so, yeah, I mean, I feel really lucky and, uh, you know, grateful to be able to still do it. What, what drew you in? Cause like DC, obviously, we know, like, you know, more on the punk, punk, hardcore punk side, you know, the, the DC scene or whatever. You guys started in 95. What drew you in? Were you listening to metal? Were you going to shows? Or I was listening to, uh, and it's funny you have the, the Dookie poster there. That was, um, you know, that was actually kind of my, how I got into like punk rock. You know, what, it wasn't, yeah. was, you know, I ended up discovering all this cool DC music, but my, my beginnings were much more humble. You know, it was like I, her, you know, saw a Green Day video and I was like, oh, what's this? And I started looking into it. And then I discovered like Operation Ivy. And I was like, oh man, this, I like this even better. And then I started discovering hardcore through some friends, you know, and I discovered some old cool, because I got into hardcore, like old school and new school at the same time. Like I got into Gorilla Biscuits and Earth Crisis, like at the same time, because Gorilla Biscuits was kind of like, you know, 10 years before my time. But Earth Crisis and Integrity and all that early victory metallic hardcore stuff was like um, what was happening when I got into music. So my first hardcore show was Earth Crisis and Strife. And then I kind of discovered like the local scene, like Battery and Damnation D. And that's when I really kind of fell in love with this kind of music. I'm so jealous. I'm 38. Tony's soon to be 40. I'm not going to say his birth date. Uh, but we're so jealous of that era. Like we're like, what, maybe four or five years behind you, but man, that like mid nineties sweet spot. I think about it more than I, you know, that's my Roman empire. You saw that meme, like everyone, people, guys think about the Roman empire. I think about that scene and I think I have a problem. <laughs> it was, it was really a beautiful time, man. But I mean, I think that's kind of common with everybody. Like I've always wished that I was, had been around five years earlier and had seen more shows in the eighties and stuff, you know? So, but yeah, I'm definitely really happy. I got to get into it when I did, it was really special time. Yeah. You always want to see the stuff that influenced you, right? I oh, wish yeah. I was around when they were playing that hole in the wall venue in 1986. And no, I, I, I can't be, but I listened to them. I love them. And now maybe they help color what I do as a musician. You know, there's, there's an influence taken there. Uh, what got you to figuring out how to, you know, be a vocalist in this scene? Because it's not easy. There's a lot that sounds the same. There's a lot that sounds different. But everybody has to have their own way into it. And then be, to be able to keep it up for this long. Yeah, I mean, so it took me a really, really long time. And it's funny you mentioned keeping it up. Like the sustain sustainability aspect of it was something I didn't think about at all for the first 15 years of the band or something you know yeah. like it was because uh, you know what drew me into being a front person being a singer was 
you know, seeing these like hardcore bands and they were, there was always this like vulnerability of just like a dude up there screaming his ass off about something that meant something to him. And, and it wasn't really like putting on a show. It wasn't really like performing, but it, it was also performing because you, you know, it is also someone on a stage performing their music. It's just always felt more personal to me than say like Axl Rose up there, you know, or David Lee Roth doing jumping jacks or something, you know, like, so that's what really drew me into it was like seeing how personal it was and how vulnerable it put made these people. And like, so that's kind of what I emulated in the beginning. And then over the years, I kind of started to realize like, Hey, you know, like David Lee Roth is pretty badass, And you know, like these <laughs> Axl Rose is pretty, you know, these, like all these rock stars and showmen, like showmanship was something that I started to kind of like think about. So, you know, 15 years after I got into it and it happened to be around the same time when I was realizing that like the way I'm singing is not sustainable at all. Like I was losing my voice on every tour because I was putting zero technique into it. I was just screaming as hard as I could. And, you know, I started to consciously think about it. I started to do some vocal lessons. I started to work with some really talented singers like Devin Townsend who produced us a few records. And, you know, I started to realize that like it, it's, it is just an instrument like anything else. And, um, you know, if you do the same thing over and over again, you're never going to get any better at it. And, you know, also I would have probably not been able to sing if I had kept screaming as hard as I could. So I learned a lot about technique and how to preserve my voice and not run out of breath. And now I kind of incorporate all kinds of sounds into the vocals. Well, I think when you started, a lot of that like knowledge wasn't out there. Like I know the Zena screaming, you know, that probably wasn't around. That was what early two thousands. Like it wasn't that reference point. And I remember in the documentary, Mike saying that you guys would drive around in his dad's Bronco and you'd like scream into a pillow or something. And like that, John was not thinking about longevity. I imagine, you know, no, not at all. <laughs> and, and even the John 10, 12 years after that, wasn't thinking about it either. Like it was, it really wasn't, like you said, it really wasn't, no one knew about it. Like no one knew that there were different kinds of screams. No one knew that certain screams were fry screams, certain screams were false chord screams or all that, all that kind of science behind screaming came out way later. So, and it's interesting. I, I still don't know much about it. Like we, when we were doing the last record, um, this guy, David Benitez, I think his last name, he's up, he's up in near in Massachusetts, but he does like uh, extreme vocal Institute. He does, screaming lessons for people and he happened to be in the studio and you know i was like hey hey what kind of scream am i doing <laughs> you know like I, I don't even know and he's like oh yeah that's, that's like that's like fry but with a little bit of this mixing and i was like oh that's cool like you know i had no idea yeah that that topic has come up a couple times for us i know jesse leach struggled with it for a little while and has since kind of figured out that that voice and it's always it been interesting to me because it is not it, it's a taxing thing i would imagine especially when you're on tour you you have to be 
really cognizant of when you use your voice and how you use it because you've got to use it that night for a while, an hour, in a pretty yeah. pretty rugged fashion. So yeah, it's always been interesting to me. But I mean, when you the thing is when you do it right and when you can hear yourself and you sing right, it's not much it's not much harder on your voice than actually singing or talking. You know, it's like you when you do it right, you can sustain it. You could do it however long you know you want to. So. And that's interesting because and and this has come up in previous conversations, but for the normal person to even do like one song of karaoke, their voice is gone. So it just shows you like technique and probably repetition building those muscles is so key. Yeah. So when you're around this long, early on, we'd like to think there's somebody or a couple of bands that you saw and you were like, that's how you're a professional. That's how you have the stage banter. That's what you do on tour with fans or with whatever. Was there a band or a couple of bands like that that you guys saw that you're like, all right, we, we're learning from here. We're, we're pulling from this to make sure that we're doing it the right way too. Uh, yeah, I think kind of the big turning point for us was the first really big tour we did was the OzFest in 2004. And, you know, before then I had always been, like I said before, this, you know, kind of anti-rock star. And, but on that tour, it was, you know, some of the it was Black Sabbath original lineup. It was Judas Priest. It was Slayer. <laughs> you know, Slipknot. Right when the big hit came out, Duality. You know, and then the second stage was all these kind of you know bands that were around the same time as us, like Unearth, Every Time I Die, just a shitload of bands. And um, so you know, we started realizing like there's you really have to like work a crowd you know i had never really taken it seriously and even when i did the tour i feel like i was that was like when i was still in my kind of rebellious punk anti-rock star phase so i was like you know almost making a joke out of it you know everyone would be like turn to the motherfucker next to you and beat the shit out of him or something and so <laughs> I, my, my the way i process that was I was like I don't want to be like that so I would be like turn to the motherfucker next to you and give him a big hug you know and yes ended up making like a little bit of a joke about it and but then we then I started to realize like man these guys are having like way better shows than us <laughs> you know and it's like I was like okay so maybe I need to start taking this a little bit seriously and maybe think about you know being trying to put on a show and being a showman and like, you know, it can feel cheesy sometimes, but if you mean it and if you're really, if your goal is like, Hey, I want to have people have the best possible time at this show, then it ceases to be cheesy and you end up and it ends up just being like an actual authentic part of your performance. You know, how, how good's your memory, John? How good is my memory? Um, <laughs> It's not when it comes when it comes to like tours and stuff, it's not great because they all kind of blurred together. Like I partied a lot in my twenties, <laughs> you know, in the early days of the band. So but I don't know. Do you have a test for me or I do, yeah. So you mentioned Ozfest 04. You uh, guys so one thing I love about you guys, you play that big stage, but then you're playing off dates too. You're playing Ozfest off dates. One of those dates was Portland, Maine, two thousand four. At the big easy. Does that ring a bell? 
No. <laughs> Not even close. It was a very small venue, 200 cap, the kind of in a basement, and it was amazing. <laughs> so it was just us? It wasn't with other... No, you, there were a couple locals. There was a band called Amaranthus, or I can't remember, but they opened. I can't remember, maybe a couple others. But I think it was just you guys from OzFest. Okay. That makes sense because we were one of the last bands added. So, you know, by the time we were added, a lot of the off-day packages had already teamed up. So we were kind of like, we did a lot of our own off-day shows. So, sorry, but I don't remember. Yeah, that, that I'm sure is a... <laughs> That room is gone now. We loved that room growing up. It was a tiny little hole in the wall venue that used to see some crazy, crazy shows. And I'm sure that one was pretty, pretty wild. I think that the 200 capacity is kind of like the perfect, you know, breeding ground for having like an insane shows, you know, like it's, it's so easy to pack those rooms and for you to have this crazy experience and sort of sweat dripping from the ceiling and everything so that's those are we've had some of my favorite shows we've ever played have been like that and it's kind of that yeah you're right it is that sweet spot because there's still a stage there's still lights there's still a killer sound system but it's just intimate yeah yeah sounds better in smaller rooms too especially with heavy music totally so you guys 30 years let's talk new album perpetual terminal uh, mm -hmm. At the time of recording, it is not out yet. And I think this episode will drop right before it actually comes out. So it's coming out February 23rd on Monarch Heavy. Mm -hmm. We love the album. We get a copy of it. We love it. It feels like a complete album. The buzz online from what you've released echoes that. Like I, I was reading comments like this band doesn't miss. Love that they brought the melody back. Continue to deliver. So do you like, do you read that stuff or do you feel that same sentiment that you? you know, still bringing it? Yeah, I mean, I, I do read that stuff. Um, you know, sometimes reading the, reading the comments is uh, terrible for your totally yeah. health and everything because, you know, you can, you can see 100 great comments and then you see one comment that's like, singer looks like a dork, you know, and you're like, God. <laughs> <laughs> that's like, that's what you, that's what you remember, of course. Um, but but no, it has been really overwhelmingly positive. And um, it does feel like, um, I mean, I think what we've put out, we put out specifically because like the first song, Perpetual Terminal, that we dropped, we wanted to put that out first because, you know, we internally, we feel like that song is basically like the career of Darkest Hour, like squished into one song. And, um, so that's why I can see why it elicits this response of, you know, oh, this is like classic DH, you know, they have the melody and everything, because that, that's kind of what we were going for. Like, we wanted to basically, yeah, do the history of the band in one song, but then the record really kind of goes, there's a lot of new stuff for us too. And uh, that's kind of really what I'm super excited for. The single that's going to drop the day that we release is really different. That's that's exciting. So you come to the table with let's write a song that encapsulates everything we've ever done. How do you come up with that idea? I think it just kind of turned into that naturally. Like, it, you know, we had, you know, the, the riffs that were going into that song were just like, oh, this sounds like 15 year old Darkest Hour riff, you know? 
and then we kind of like built the song around that and um you know it, 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 it it's not like we really set out for that but it just ended up turning into that you know does that is that like a does that give you guys like a kick and a jolt like a rejuvenation because i know i was reading about like the theme of the album that at the end of the day everything is terminal but we're still doing this we still love it so i'm just curious does that rejuvenate you to just keep going you know you hear this riff and you're like man that's that sweet darkest hour riff you know to be honest it doesn't <laughs> the, oh, for, wow. but personally for me the like i like i like the different i like the more different stuff you know i mean i, I love it all it's all our band and i stand behind it 100 percent. but the things that really excite me aren't the things that's that where you're like Oh, this sounds like Darkest Hour. The things that excite me are the things that are like, oh, this sounds like something else, you know, this, or something new. You know? So, was there anything in particular this time around that you wanted to try new? Yeah, I mean, I wanted to do a lot more. Like, I really like, I really enjoy singing, like singing pretty, like clean singing. And, I think we did a lot of that on the self-titled record, maybe too much. And then we kind of reacted on the Godless Prophets by having like no clean singing in it. And we wanted a really brutal, raw, heavy album. And now we're kind of reacting from that being like, well, you know, we should have more melody. And um, like, I, I really do enjoy singing, like singing clean, but I really wanted to kind of do it in like a different way than you know the classic formulaic metalcore version of having like a you know screaming in the verse and then having a poppy singy chorus yeah it's definitely not that it's definitely not that yeah, i wanted to change it around a little bit and be like oh you know how about singing during the verses and then uh and then the second half of the song is all heavy or something you know so yeah, that's stuff that I'm really looking forward to seeing. Although, you know, I don't know, it's gonna be tough to read those comments. <laughs> Always is, because all you need is the one, right? <laughs> We've been there. <laughs> yeah. Well, is it, I know on One With The Void in Mausoleum, I would say those are probably the best showcases of you not screaming, you know, more doing clean vocals and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, but they hit, in a, in a crazy way, like they, they maybe hit you even harder than you when you're screaming. I mean, I, to me, I think it's more intimate. It's more, it's definitely more uh, vulnerable, you know, like if there's like it for me, since I've been screaming my whole life, it's getting up there and screaming in front of people is just normal. You know, it's just, I'm not going to say it's not boring because it's still really exciting to me, but it is that standard. Like in, in to most singers, thinking about getting up and screaming in front of people is like, whoa, shit, that's, that's crazy. But for me, like thinking about, you know, one with a void, that's going to be the next single. And, um, you know, we're going to perform that one. So, um, you know, just thinking about standing up there and me just singing and the, the music's kind of quiet. It's, it's like scary in a good way, you know, like it's, it's, it really, and it brings me back to like what I liked about, seeing hardcore front people in the beginning which like i said is the that vulnerability aspect and seeing that this is just someone kind of like pouring themselves out to their song that's that's an interesting way to think about it just because 
you've done this for so long now, you've got to try to find a way to bury your soul a little bit in a different, in a new fashion, in a way that you haven't done it before, whether it be on the record or li- in a live show. And it sounds like you did that, which is really cool. Yeah, thanks, man. Well, that song in particular, One With The Void, it has the clean singing, but then there's this kind of build up throughout it. And then it hits you with the classic Darkest Hour sing-along, I, that, you know, for lack of better words. That'll hit live. If, if you said you're going to play it live? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that'll hit. I, I think that'll, when it's all said and done, whenever that is, I think people will gravitate towards that song. Cool. I hope so, man. So this album, was there anything where you guys, after you finished it, were like, fuck, man, we did that. We just did that. I don't know where the inspiration came from, but we just did that. Was there anything like that? I don't know. I mean, I think just, so we've been working on the record for so long, and I think there was one moment where, you know, I was kind of, I, I didn't know the direction that the album was going to go. We had been working on it for five years. We had so many different demos. We had reworked all these different demos. And I flew over to DC and I was in Mike's basement. And he was like, I think we have a record. And I was like, you're crazy. We have like, uh, you know, <laughs> only a, only a handful of ideas that I'm like really stoked on. And he was like, check this out. And he, you know, he had gone and rearranged all this different stuff and he had put all the demo ideas in an order that to that finally felt like an album to me and that that was i don't know that was probably during the pandemic that was probably like yeah like in 2020 and so yeah there there that was kind of like because you know at that point yeah we'd been writing for years and it, to me it didn't feel like we were making a lot of progress, but then all of a sudden, you know, he worked everything and ordered it to the, like, like, and I was like, man, how are these even the same songs? He, he had taken parts from songs, taken them out and put them in other songs. And it's just somehow worked, you know, because I mean, Mike is like hardest working dude in, uh, in heavy music, you know, he's in his basement every day working on this band. So it, that was that was a really cool turning point. And then that was when, you know, I started to get really excited, and then we started to really kind of get together a lot more often and start really making the record. He's always come across as like an evil genius kind of guy. Like I don't know, I just get that vibe about Mike. You know, it just the gears are always spinning, and the output is always like, how, why, how? You know, it's like how did how did he do that? Yeah, he's he's always. He's always working on the band, like even, you know, in his sleep, he's like working on the band. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's awesome, you know, props to him. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So yeah, you're, uh, you're going to go out on tour too, right? Late February. Leap yeah, day. Yeah. You start on leap day, which is, and how many tours have started on February 29th? That's what I want to know. I, no, I just made that. I just noticed that like two days ago. <laughs> so it's funny you mentioned that. I was like, oh, February 29th. Wow. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just noticed it looking at the notes because we talked about this last night to get ready and prep to talk to you, and I didn't. It just hit me now. I'm like, oh wow, that starts on leap day. That's exciting. Yeah, extra yeah. day, extra day of touring. Exactly. You know, it's the longest tour we've done, and man, definitely since before the pandemic, but probably for years before the pandemic, we haven't wow. really done like a full, proper 
you know, five plus week loop around the whole, you know, U S and Canada. So we're super, super excited, man. It's, um, it's going almost everywhere. I mean, it never goes everywhere. Of course, you know, anytime you announce a tour or someone's like, <laughs> what the hell? No, no, Iowa. Yeah. No, yeah. No, no Portland, Maine. Uh. Portland, Maine. I mean, I'm sure you guys must be used to it. You know, we're used to it. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's really going to be the the longest tour we've been we've done in a while. It's going to be the longest set that we've ever played. It's you know, something like 14 songs. It's you know, well over an hour. So yeah, it's really going to be uh, it's going to be really special. And we're doing a lot of new stuff. We're doing you know, at this point we have. 10 albums out so every time you put a new album out there's it's there's just a struggle of like you know you're gonna you're not gonna be able to play a lot of songs and you're gonna not be able to play everyone's favorite songs so you know we we try to like make it so that we always try to tailor the set so that there's you know people who have always liked the band will like it people who just got into the band will also like it so we're trying our best to do that yeah, so you got, who's it, Mouth for Filth is Eternal, I Am, and some URA opening across the different. So it's it's stacked lineup. I don't know how you're doing it. Like, I know we're, we're a little younger, but the idea of driving across the country, yelling for 14 songs every night, man, I don't know. Do you, what changes for you compared to maybe years ago? Like, you, you know, less partying, more vocal support, you know, more, less talking during the day. Definitely less partying. I, you know, I can't, uh, I'm, I'm 44 now. And, you know, in, in our twenties, we were just, we partied every night. It was, it was wild, but, uh, you know, that's, that's something that I can't do anymore. Like the most important thing for me to be able to tour is to get proper sleep. So, you know, we're doing it on one of these bandwagons, which is kind of like a mini tour bus, but we each have our own bunk. So, you know, we're able to really get proper sleep as opposed to like doing the van and hotels and you're going to the, you know, you're getting to your hotel at two in the morning and then you have to check out at 6am and then you have to try to sleep in the van on the way to the show. And like that definitely is, you know, it's something we did our whole career, but it's, um, it's way harder to, to play every night when you're getting um, advancing in your age. Right. sleep is so important as as i age for me so i totally relate to that like if i'm if i stay up till one o'clock tonight tomorrow is shot <laughs> it just is <laughs> like so i can't imagine trying to do that you know while sleeping in a van and not my own bed yeah the difference is really funny i mean you know where it used to be every night everyone's hanging with people from the show doing shots partying whatever now you know after the show you just everyone's just kind of like sitting there people are like People are already passed out or reading a book or you know, <laughs> making a sandwich. And like, it's like, that's, that's where we're at now. You know, I love hearing this stuff because we, we've heard like it, it used to go from that to, all right, where's the closest coffee shop or when can I sneak in a nap? You know, when, when's loading? Cause I need to take a nap before then, you know? Yeah. 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 Especially for, for vocals. Like I've, I've found that, you know, sleep is just the, by far the most important thing. So obviously still excited doing this 30 years in touring on support of a new album. 
are you anything else you're really looking forward to in the coming weeks here with the album coming out i mean really just the response uh you know like i'm i can't wait for people to hear it i think you know we've the two songs that we dropped are really just kind of the tip of the iceberg so i really can't wait for people to kind of dig into like the meat of this album and really see what it's all about and um yeah i just can't super excited for the world to hear it man like um i think mike's getting the record shipped to him today actually so we're gonna uh, i'm i live in europe so i won't be over there for another couple weeks um so i won't get to hold it for another three weeks but you know that's always such a like special feeling after you've put you know five plus years into making an album to like just look at it hold it it's really it's a beautiful feeling you know that's got to be that we did that moment right like look yeah. look at it yeah. here it is we finally it, it all came to fruition this started as ideas and conversations and now i'm holding it that's that's so cool exactly man well hey most bands don't get to 10 and most that do get to 10 the albums generally suck think about it i i, I thought about it the other day when i you know when i saw that this was number 10 and I was one, I was surprised. And then I did the math and I'm like, yeah, it is 10, but most 10th albums from bands don't hit like this. And I know when this comes out, the album won't be out, but it'll be out. I think on the Friday of this, that this episode comes out. So just wait a few days. You're going to love it. I think it's, it's tough to stack it, but I think it's the, it's, it's one of the most complete albums you guys have done. And I, and I think it, you had to, put out the previous albums to get to this. And hopefully that makes sense when people listen to it, because there's there's classic stuff, there's new takes, there's it's got it all. The imagery's great. I love the theme of the album, the name of the album, the opener, killer opener, killer closer too. Uh it's complete. I guess that's the best way to put it. Cool. That's that's kind of what we were going for. So thank you, man. Um I think that like, you know, it's 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 always uh, a goal of mine to to grow and to grow, um, you know, in a way that for the better. So, you know, I know there's a, like you said, there's a lot of bands, you know, put out their first album and it's amazing. And then, but then it's just kind of like all downhill from there. Um, but I've, I've always like, you know, one of my favorite bands is the Beatles and they're kind of the perfect example of, for me, each record they put out, was like better than the last one. Like, I, you know, their last record, Let It Be, to me is, I think, the best one. Abbey Road's right before that, I think is like the second best one. So that's kind of always been, a, you know, a big influence on me and a big inspiration is to like grow in a good way, you know? Hell yeah. Awesome. All right, John, thank you for, for coming on with us today. Go check out Perpetual Terminal this Friday, February 23rd, out on Monarch Heavy. And uh, go see him on tour starting on Leap Day. And yeah, we're, we're excited for all that Darkest Hour has got to offer us here in the next couple of weeks. Oh yeah, it's going to be a great year. Thanks, John. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you guys. Thank you for listening to Patio Slave. We are at Patio Slave on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all of the places that you can find us on social media. Facebook, Patio Slave Podcast. YouTube, Patio Slave Podcast there. Email us at patioslavepodcast at gmail.com. And hey, if you want to become a supporter, click on the link at the bottom of the episode and give us a dollar, give us five bucks. It keeps the lights on, keeps us going. We really appreciate that stuff. Thank you. Playing with Unearth and Darkest Hour this weekend. And I realized 
I've been playing shows with both of those bands since around 96, 97 ish overcast played with darkest hour in a squat in uh, DC where, Oh man, slave bomb. One of my favorite people alive, but that day we're loading upstairs into a actual like Rasta squat, like just all these Rasta dudes just hang out in this abandoned like building somewhere in DC. And we get up there and they asked us like, Hey man, can we borrow your cabinets? And we're like, yeah, you know, nice to meet you guys. Sure. You know, use whatever we're, we're on tour. And they borrowed them to make full stacks. Like, you know, <laughs> like and, uh, and immediately you know, I was like, I love and hate you guys so much. I was like, that's perfect. Right. And yeah. since then they've been like some of our best friends.